Hello? Yeah, hi. Hi, Mom. I think you listened to this interview with Nick Hernandez. Anything you want to call out for listeners that stood out to you? Well, what stood out for me was that he loved you. (laughs) (laughs) He thought that you really helped him, and he loved the way you went about it. And it was really mutual. It takes a lot of dedication and leadership to make this work, and he really did that. But he just appreciated what you did for them. Yeah, he's a really expressive guy that way. I think not only to me, but to all the people he works with. The the fact that he's a nice person and that he related so well to you, it goes with... with, I think you just pressed a button or something. I didn't press it, but somebody is calling and they're waiting, so it beeped me. Okay, sorry. What did hit me is that by using his product, it brings together the people in the company to bring the expertise, the knowledge, the information, the way to do it. I can see where the company becomes a better place, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if that was an intention of his creating this 360... Learning, 360 learning. learning. Yes, but it seems like a wonderful way to get people in the company to maybe rely on each other, to know who to go to. Mm -hmm. Maybe they even start having lunch together. I don't know. Otherwise, they come to work every day and they probably don't even know who's next to them. And these days, they don't even come to work. (laughs) Oh, that's true. This is The Bigger Narrative. I'm Andy Raskin. In this podcast, I talk with CEOs about their strategic narrative, that single high-level story they tell that powers success not only in sales and marketing, but also fundraising, product, recruiting, everything. And I'm super excited to have as my guest for this 20th episode, Nick Hernandez, CEO of 360 Learning. Before I met Nick, he had already raised more than $240 million for a new take on corporate training that he calls collaborative learning. Multinationals, including Toyota, Michelin, LVMH, had signed on as customers, but Nick found that new prospects didn't always get what collaborative learning meant. Even his own team had a hard time explaining why it was game-changing. So way too often, they struggle to differentiate from other training software and they'd get dragged into margin-killing feature bake-offs. Specifically... People think collaborative learning, they think like, okay, it's an e-learning platform with forums, which is way less than what we're doing. People took it to mean like, oh, it's the same old corporate training stuff, but there's going to be a forum. Yeah, they were kind of, okay, there's going to be a newsfeed. And I was following like the work you were doing and then following your LinkedIn. I think that educated me that having a concept is cool, but like, what is the story you're telling? It's not just having a concept. Like, yeah, collaborative learning identifies us, but we're doing way more. How can we tell that story, that bigger story? I actually went back and looked at some of the early versions we built. And initially we were saying, hey, there's this old way of looking at training called top-down learning. And that was all about compliance. And now there's this new approach called collaborative learning. And that's all about growth. And I remember we showed it to your leadership team and the feedback was not very good. Do you remember that? I do. And in hindsight, it's like, ugh. But eventually we got to this more promising direction when we hit on the idea of upskilling from within. Could you talk about that story? So we build a story together around winning companies nowadays are betting on their experts. 
uh, individual contributors really great at what they're doing. Often they're paid less than the chief something officer. And can you do more with these people? Yeah, how can you get these people to teach others, share their knowledge, share their expertise? And we were able to say, look, the best, most successful organizations in the world are, are doing this. That's what we did. And we found that Google, Tesla, but also McDonald's was actually betting on their people, upskilling their people from within. Yeah, I remember once we started talking about upskill from within, you saw this McDonald's recruiting poster. Yeah, they're running an ad saying, at McDonald's, learn from others at every instant. If you come to McDonald's, you're going to be learning from all these other people around you. Yeah, at every moment. Just to be clear, McDonald's is not a customer of yours. No, it's not. It's a great brand. And I think it helped a lot, back to your point, that we found the social proof. So yes, we're going to try to educate the market. Something is happening. Winners are doing it differently. It's not just us saying this, hey, this is happening out in the world. McDonald's was a controversial example on the team because people were like, well, we were pitching a lot of tech companies. Like, do they see McDonald's as aspirational? But then there were other examples. Tesla, Elon Musk, famous for creating a culture where people can learn from each other. At least that's what you hear from the outside. Yeah, it's interesting because the culture is a bit top down. That's also what we hear. But still, he put some emphasis on the experts need to make the decision. And I think in the industry, like when you have assembly line, people on the field, the experts, the ones building the stuff, are the ones who know and they should be training others. So we found that at Tesla and we found it obviously at Google, where the expertise around AI is how they attract people. But I think what's interesting with Google is that they're betting so much on their experts. It's how they attract younger people to learn from these experts. But it's also how they educate their market, because when you use a Google product, you're like, I'm using a product that was built by the best AI experts in the world. So this upskill from within is not only about having people within the company teach each other, it's also about turning these experts into kind of stars, not only within the company, but even externally. Exactly, even externally. And I think so what we did that's great is in that story, it's obvious that the features aren't for us. It's obvious that the features are something else. What are the kind of features that are so clear because of this story now? Thank you for asking. And you know that CEOs, in the end, they want to talk about features. <laughs> in the, uh, as long as it's in the <laughs> end, after we've set the frame of the story. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. 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 No, it's, I mean, it's using AI to understand the skills, spot the experts. So using AI to actually like identify people who are experts in the company. What are you looking at to identify that? We have a lot of data around the courses and we have also data that we take from the HR systems. Mm -hmm. People can also volunteer. We also promote, hey, you know, when you say, hey, 300 people in your company would love to learn about that and you happen to know about it. It's a huge call to action. We were reward also these experts, showing them that you're reaching, maybe the CEO took the course that you created or a VP or that's rewarding too. So we empower the experts, especially right now, everybody wants to have more impact and we can show you that the courses you've created are having that impact. I remember one big issue was 
yes, we have this nice message about let's turn our internal experts into stars and have them teach everybody else their expertise. But then there's this fine line because the people you sell to, at least some of the personas are these like learning and development managers. L&D, uh, learning and development. And they see themselves as being experts in course creation and that kind of stuff. And they are. So you had to do this fine line of you're still going to be in control. And they don't want a subject matter expert to build a course. That is nonsense. The story doesn't flow and ship it. And then everybody sees that in the company. So they want control. And I mean, they're right about it. It's interesting because the story actually impacted the product roadmap because we thought that pushback we have from instructional designers, well, we should integrate that in the story and show them what's in it for them. And we build these features. That what, was a huge outcome for me, as big as repositioning. Right? What were the features that you built that addressed this? So all the workflows to make sure when the course goes live, Depending on the company and the level of control they want, it has been reviewed or validated. The comments have been resolved, vetted by the learning team, all these workflows. I but see. you know, back, back to what I was saying, mm -hmm. I often do C-level meetings. And now that question that you are kind enough to ask around what are the features, sometimes I don't even get the question because they understood like they understood the value. And that's what I was struggling with, with collaborative learning. Alone was too vague. Mm -hmm. And that story we crafted I think the social proof also plays a huge part in it, in the power of the story. I'm curious, what other ways do you judge the success or not success of the story? Well, very pragmatically, success is they say, okay, go talk to my learning team. I need that tool. They're going to double check that the story you told me is real, is happening in the product, and we, we're going to deploy that. That's so what I need right now. Success is you're having a conversation, and the CEO says to you, okay, great, talk to my team, and prove you can do that. Yeah. And he's going to be the number one sponsor of the deal. Mm -hmm. That's the best situation because if the CEO makes the decision himself or themselves or herself, it's not great. It needs to be the learning team who's going to execute on that. Mm -hmm. The best situation if the CEO becomes our first sponsor. And and is that happening? It is. It, it's, it's, it's magic. It's happening like every two, three weeks. Wow. That's great. Yeah. No, that's, that's thanks to you. <laughs> and it is great. Well, I, I really felt this great collaborative effort between us. And we went down, as I said, some dead ends and you kept going. And I think that was really, really important. I love doing it. And I think we at 360 Learning, we have that culture of collaboration. Like things are not going to be right the first time. It's going to take some time. Honestly, also, you have a very solid framework. Oh, thank uh, you. And because I'm in the space of learning, it's a framework, but it's also education. Like mm -hmm. you show us that first meeting, you show us some example. So look, here are some before after of the strategic narrative. Here are some mistakes. Like most companies, they're pitching a problem and if you don't buy my solution, we're going to die. And that is the arrogant doctor pitch. It can work, but I'm doing something different. And all that education is very valuable. I love that. The team loved that. I think it wouldn't have worked without it. Well, to be clear, we still say you're going to die. Like, hey, if you don't upskill within, you're going to die. What I see is the difference, since you brought it up, is the arrogant doctor is saying, hey, you have a problem. I have a solution. Here's why mine is the best solution. And there's not a frame there for, well, why is this problem 
life and death urgent now because the CEOs you're talking to, they, they have a lot of problems. Yeah. <laughs> and how are we going to make them join this movement, the upskill from within movement? Yeah, there's a movement of people doing things differently. And then it's not just about the solution. It's about the mindset, what's behind it. Yeah. And showing the bigger picture. You said earlier that getting clear on the strategic narrative guided your product roadmap. Before we started recording, I told you that in a few months, I'm going to give a talk about strategic narrative and how that can guide sales engineering, you know, the people who demo products and all that. And you told me that, in fact, your sales engineers have already totally changed the way they demo as a result of the new narrative. Could you talk about that? So before, basically, it was... Let me show you all the collaborative features for 45 minutes. But there was no overarching, here is how doing that makes you do the same what Google are doing. What does it look like now? How is it different? Now we show you the experience. We tell a story. So there is Mark. Mark is seeing that the industry is shifting toward electric cars. He's working for a thermic car company. And Mark says, I'd love to learn more about electric cars. So the next day you have 1,000 upvotes. Mm -hmm. And then here is the call to action for someone to say, hey, I know a bit, I can build part of a course. You can then create a project, assign the different experts, different part of the course, orchestrate all that, set deadlines. We're going to push the course to the relevant persons at first, based on the skills, the data, all that. And as we see more engagement, we're going to give that course more visibility across the company. So we show them that story. And then we have what in product, you call that an engagement loop. And by engagement loop here, you mean the loop of getting an expert to create a course, having that be successful, having that person be celebrated for that, and then seeing others want to create and teach courses. Exactly. So after the work we did together, I forgot to mention that we changed the product Northstar metric to be measuring that specific loop. How many active authors? Before, we were just saying to the product team, we're a collaborative platform, so build collaborative things. Now we focused it around a very neat, I would say, minimal story. We have a customer right now with 80,000 employees, and they crossed 1,000 people creating courses. Your North Star metric for the product changed as a result of getting clear on the story. That's fascinating. Yeah, it is. We, we couldn't find a North Star metric we were happy with. We had like, let's measure the number of interactions. But then it didn't work because a message on a forum or a learning need, you have different scale, different frequency, and adding them all as one didn't make any sense. So that didn't work, and then something else didn't work. And now we're like, okay, that's the engagement loop. Let's just measure the outcome, number of authors in absolute figures. Very simple. That was a great outcome. You were pretty methodical about how you introduced the narrative to the company. I mean, we built it as a sales deck, as I almost all the time do. How did you install it into the company where... Now, sales is using it. It's on the website. I think you said you're using it in CEO conversations. Yeah, we did it slowly in the sense that we we have a business. We have 60 reps. Changing the sales funnel isn't something we do overnight. It's something we take quite seriously. So, I mean, we tested, we cascaded, adapted, because we have also different processes for inbound, mm -hmm. you know, inbound mm -hmm. leads. Someone wants a learning platform, an LMS. They have a preconceived idea. They send these RFPs. It's 200 lines and you just need to say yes, no to features. And you're not going to tell them that the story at the same moment. Mm -hmm. It's not that the story is going to change. It's just, it's not the same moment. Maybe not exactly the same slides, the same length. 
Sometimes it's with a demo, sometimes it's with the slides. Mm -hmm. um, on the enterprise market where it's more outbound, we use a slide. It's really about telling the same story to 20 different people in an account and then making sure they gather in a room and they all say, let's do it. Uh, so we adapted. We had, it took us, I think it took us nine months mm. in the end mm. to roll out. And interestingly, I think we, because you're mentioning the sales deck and you work on the sales deck, that was interesting to me because I think all the positioning work we had done before, because I'm more a marketing than sales person, we were doing it on a homepage. And honestly, the sales deck is better because it's easier to test. Mm -hmm. Whereas, I mean, we still A-B test the homepage, but if you see that you can pitch and close, it's, it's better. That's something also that we changed after, that I changed a lot. When I first started doing this work, I would give teams a choice, like, We'll create the story in some sort of skeleton form in an internal document, and then we'll choose one thing that'll express the story. So sometimes that was a website, sometimes a presentation, sometimes just paragraphs or a press release. And I found that skipping that internal document and just going straight to the sales deck actually worked the best. It has. The homepage is also great because you have more volume, but the sales deck, what's better is that the outcome is more tangible. It's money. Yep. Now that you've been through this, any advice for other CEOs who are thinking about building a strategic narrative? You know, we came to you and I thought I knew a lot about what you do. I had read everything. I was a huge fan. And I was thinking somehow, you know, very often you use consultants to move your team from point A to point B, but you think you know what point B is. And I think working with you requires to really not come with a preconceived idea of what's going to be point B. And ideally, let the team know. Our goal is to get from point A to somewhere that we don't know what it is. We're going to find out together mm -hmm. and create that openness and space. And honestly, myself, I wasn't in that, that, that mindset. I had to do a shift and consider like putting collaborative learning more on the back seats. I mean, if you I go to your website, collaborative learning is still what I would almost call like a category or the name of the movement. Upskill Within is what I see as the buyer mission statement. So yes, we have this thing called collaborative learning. Well, what is the mission we're setting out for the people who we want to join that movement? Like, exactly. what does that look like? So to me, you came with a lot of stuff that was really good and you rightly kept it. I agree. But I think, you know, if you have things, are you going to keep them or not? The reality is if you build with you, the team's going to build a story they fall in love with. The rest, gonna, you're going to find a solution. Keep it, not keep it. Sunset it slowly and quietly or not. All that is secondary, actually. Yeah. So not making it a constraint would be my advice. Yeah. Wow, I really enjoyed that conversation with Nick for his kind words, obviously, but also because it so validates this idea that the narrative is a CEO's most powerful tool for articulating strategy. When well-crafted, it guides not only what your team says in sales and marketing, but also what product features they prioritize and build, how they think about and measure success, even how engineers run demos, and that ultimately a two-word category name is really nothing without a story that clarifies a movement, a shift from an old game to a new one for your buyer. 
you know, after our call, Nick gave me permission to share that the company he mentioned that has 80,000 employees and over a thousand course creators is Safran, the world's second largest aircraft equipment manufacturer, and that they have so thoroughly embraced Nick's upskill from within movement that they now include course creation as a criteria for promotions within the company. Incredible. The Bigger Narrative is produced and edited by me, Andy Raskin, with music by Stephen Emerson and podcast cover art by Angela Mae Chen. Carla Borelli inspired the show by telling me I should do it over coffee. Thanks to Nick Hernandez, Sophie Augusta, Jean-Christophe Bourgard, Guillaume Allery Raisonnier, Caroline Salas, Ryan Peters, and everyone at 360 Learning. Special thanks also to Judy Raskin, Richard Raskin, Emily Raskin, Eli Raskin, and Carol Wasserman. And remember, the company story is the company strategy. Mm-hmm.